Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Jazz Mostert, and you're listening it to... Is, look, it's Inside great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bolt, so... Um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but... But we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead, you could say. It's just, it's, they're just, there's <laughs> good racing and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to Inside Supercars. As you can tell, my voice hasn't recovered from the weekend, but I'm joined this week by VFX's John Bannon. Good evening, John. Good evening, Craig. And also from Inside Motorsport, Peter Norton. Good evening, Peter. Good evening, gentlemen. I hope everyone's uh, recovering from a big weekend. It was indeed a big weekend. And uh, why don't we start at the finish, as they say. Should Jamie Wincup have been penalised, John Bannon? There's so many elements to this particular issue. I think the first thing I'd like to say is, in some respects, I think the Stewart's decision just has to be respected. I mean, if we look at the analogy of uh, a footy code, at the end, uh, when the full-time siren goes, uh, can you then change the result? And uh, so, obviously, you know, an appeal has been lodged and, and the due process will, will occur there. And, uh, and, and obviously, Red Bull has every right to do that. Uh, but... Like Neil Davidson said today, I think each driver played their part uh, in the incident. Uh, Jamie obviously backed uh, Garth up. Uh, Garth was probably trying uh, his best to to get past, and you, know, you can understand that. And, and Scott also was trying to get back on track as quickly as possible. Uh, so in many respects, you know, while I respect the decision has been made by the stewards, and I respect the process that's currently underway, in my eyes, it was a bit of a racing incident. They all played a part in what occurred, and equally, they were all trying to do the right thing for themselves and for their team uh, to win the race. You know, Jamie was backing off because he wanted Scott to get past so that he could get back to attacking him again. Garth was trying to be opportunistic and and, uh, give himself the best chance to winning the race, and, and Scott obviously wanted to get back on track so he could try and win the race too. So, I think it's just one of those incidents and you've got to respect the decision that's been made and and, and get on with it, I think. I think if anything changed from here, it wouldn't be a good look for the sport and that's just my personal opinion. Mm. Now, Peter, unlike football, all the football codes, there is the ability to make a, a uh, appeal against an umpire's decision and that is unique to a number of... It's not unique to motorsport, it's... Uh, certainly part of a number of different sports. And when you've got a $10,000 lodgement fee for the appeal, it's probably incentive enough not to make frivolous ones. Uh, you're spot on there. It's not a cheap process to enter into. Uh, so uh, silly little protests or appeals uh, shouldn't be happening. And this one's a big one. This is the biggest prize in Australian motorsport. So uh, um, I can understand why feelings are high. Uh, the good news for other people looking at the dollars on it is that uh, if they've uh, put on a, a sports bet, uh, it pays uh, how they cross the line um, and uh, that won't be affected by if the result is changed uh, in, a, in a couple of days' time. Uh, so uh, all of the punters out there, um, 
and I guess that Will Babson would have paid pretty well because he definitely wasn't one of the favourites going into the race. Um, yeah, this one's hard, isn't it? We've got this mechanism in place because too many races were being affected by quick decisions of sending someone down pit lane in a drive-through penalty. And after the race, when the argument came out, it was sort of determined that, whoops, maybe they overstepped the mark with the penalty. So uh, where it is a little bit uh, line ball, the mechanism is there. Let's uh, impose a time penalty, add it to the race time, and that way the, it can be argued that the cases for and against can really be tabled after the event. Now, when they've decided to go down that path, I don't think they realised it would affect the biggest event of the year. Um, but anyway, they're the, the rules that uh, are in place. And as you said, Craig, uh, $10,000 uh, sort of money on the bar before you were allowed to enter into the argument. Um, it goes to quite a, a formal process, a very uh, legal court-like process. Um, and the grounds that a decision can be appealed, um, I bet supercars have put out a, a little question and answer uh, piece on, on the internet to uh, answer some of the, uh, the sort of obvious questions. Um, an appeal can be uh, made against the severity of the penalty, uh, an error in the application of the rules, um, or if there's been a, a denial of natural justice. Um, natural justice is sort of a, a legal term for just just fairness, um, whether people are allowed to uh, you know, state their case in, in the defence of uh, allegations. Some of those sorts of things are what natural justice is all about. Um, so that there's a couple of different legs to the, uh, the argument that uh, uh, the AAA uh, may put forward. And I'm guessing that it may be the, the severity of the penalty um, or whether it was a, just a, uh, an error in the application of the rules and an error of uh, understanding the facts. Um, and I guess that... Uh, <clears throat> the, the opportunity it now exists to forensically diagnose the incident. I would assume that they've downloaded the data from uh, each of the cars. Um, and really, the whole incident started back at Forest Elbow, where Scott McLaughlin um, lost, a, lost a bit of grip on, on the exit to the corner, uh, which affected his speed down Conrad Strait, allowing Jamie Winkup that opportunity to stick his nose in there and, and, and have, a, have a go at it. Um, now, uh, I think some people are suggesting that McLaughlin didn't hold the, the proper line uh, through that corner where, you know, if you had someone down the inside, you've got to give them a bit of racing room. So maybe McLaughlin contributed to the, the whole uh, whole touch to start with. Um, it's a very complicated uh, issue, and I would imagine that it's going to get very precise in the argument, uh, almost half second by half second, for a whole 30-second period uh, to analyse the whole three players and to work out if the uh, 15 seconds was uh, too severe. Mm. Um, it's fascinating. Uh, in, in my sort of uh, uh, background of, of, of business and law, uh, th- this one's a doozy. Mm. And, John, the critical thing is if Jamie went into a gap and it was seen to be a squeeze-up and really both parties at fault, racing incident, then there was no need to redress, which in turn means there was no need for a 15-second penalty for not redressing, which is what the 15-second penalty was applied for. So in actual fact, if it's a racing incident in 
the chase, then the penalty is ill-applied. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make, Craig. I, I think in Jamie's eyes, uh, he obviously felt that he was going to be pinned by the Stuarts. And so he, he then felt that he had to redress. Uh, he probably didn't need to do it right then and there, but he was probably trying to do it as quickly as he can so he could get back to attacking stock, Scott as soon as he could. Uh, it's also interesting that, that you say there that the 15-second penalty was about the incident going down uh, into the chase between Scott and, and Jamie. Uh, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. I thought it was to do with... Uh, the cause of the incident between Garth Scott and and Jamie and backing them up, uh, so you know that uh, you know that puts a different light on it. Mm. And well, there's no rule about slowing down on the racetrack. There, Scott well, McLaughlin got is, a Scott McLaughlin got a points penalty for an inappropriate rejoining of the circuit. And let's face it, Garth Tander ran into two cars. Jamie Wincup just slowed down. There's no law to say, as Jack Brabham said, you win the race as slowly as possible. Perhaps that's the extreme, but in that case, if there's no penalty at uh, at, um, at the chase, then by the logic running through says that uh, Jamie Wincup slowing down is not a reason to be penalised. At the other end of that spectrum, uh, if you brake test someone, Surely you would be uh, penalised for driving dangerously or you know, not holding your normal racing line and, and normal racing approach. But the, 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 uh, so that's brake that, checking someone, and yes, that could be argued, but he just mm. failed to accelerate off the corner. It's, it's, it's not your job to get out of the way of the faster car behind. But I, I think it's equally dangerous that uh, uh, for, the, for racing at that level to proceed you need to have a, a level of confidence in your fellow competitors that just as you, you are accelerating out of a corner, you have to be able to rely on the fact that they'll be trying the same. And if that's what the penalty was applied for, then it's probably applied justly. Unfortunately, the penalty was applied for the contact in the corner, uh, for, um, for the not redressing. Now, that is, mm. that is, that is the issue. And, uh, of course, it comes to the point that has been stated that he couldn't redress because the cars were taken out by a third car, A, and did he need to redress? And I think we'll, we'll finish this segment, Peter, on with your opinion on the famous uh, Courtney Van Gisbergen battle when Van Gisbergen was at Techno and they went through the hairpin. There was contact coming out of the hairpin at Adelaide at Clipsal and and uh, Courtney was affected by that. Shane Van Gisbergen immediately reacted and led Courtney back through. And at the end of the race, Barg said, well, I wasn't going to penalise him. <laughs> well, that's right. And another element to this, <coughs> excuse me, another element to this may be uh, who are the decision makers? Um, who has uh, imposed the penalty? Is it the driving standards uh, observer or was it the actual stewards of the meeting? Because they can be quite different groups of people. You mentioned uh, Jason Barguana, whereas more formally the stewards, um, uh, Steve Chopping and, and Cam's representatives are involved in that. So uh, 
this is going to get quite technical. Uh, it will be very uh, legalistic. Uh, interestingly, uh, uh, the team have to represent themselves. They're trying to keep the costs down in uh, the way they define the process. Uh, so people aren't allowed to bring their barrister. But on the CAM side of things, there definitely is some barristers and people with that legal background. Uh, well, if you employ a, baroness, a barrister, then obviously he's part of the team. I think one final interesting element to this is that on Tuesday, uh, we're still talking about Bathurst two days afterwards. And not just us and those that, I guess, are, are involved in the sport, but it's still getting uh, mainstream media coverage as a result. And so I guess that has been a bit of a side bonus uh, for this issue that you know the sport continues to get coverage uh, after the event. Mm, oh, but is it is it the right coverage? Uh, and, and I was thinking earlier that uh, uh, Jim Richards may be loving this because Jamie Winkup would become the new least popular winner of Bathurst, and um, uh, the, the 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 booing and carrying on. We'll look forward to Jamie Winkup standing on the podium somewhere and saying, "Well, you're all a pack of." <laughs> Let's go to a break here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to uh, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Peter Norton and John Bannon. It's the Canberra Mafia on this week's show. And, guys... Uh, well, we've spoken about the man who crossed the line first. What about the man or the men who held up the Peter Brock Trophy in Will Davison and Jonathan Webb? A fantastic story. They rolled the dice and went for broke, not stopping for fuel. And they took the track position and in the end they were able to hang on, John. Well, I think it's a fabulous uh, result, not only for, for Techno, but, but for Will and and Jonathan, I mean, uh, you know, will change to techno at the beginning of, of the year after, I guess, a, a, a troublesome time with with Erebus. I mean, he uh, did his best while he was there, and, and Erebus certainly did their best. But um, you know, he decided, I guess, to, to make the move to techno to, to give himself these sort of opportunities to to put himself in the position to, uh, as he put it, to once again contest for the championship. Uh, and you know, crucially, uh, be in the hunt uh, on on the big days in, in our calendar, and, and there, of course, comes no bigger than Bathurst. So, uh, look, I, I think also the other aspect here is Jonathan uh, won the 12-hour uh, this year, and so he's the first driver to, to do the double. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a very handy driver, isn't he? You know, he's a team boss. Uh, he comes in and, and does uh, co-driving now that he's he stepped down from full-time driving a few years ago. And 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 for Will, you know, he, he's had a, a difficult few rounds and sort of the bounce back with a, a victory at Bathurst. It, uh, 
it's a very sweet result for that small team. Mm. Uh, there was a few years ago, Peter, when I uh, I did a Le Mans style um, rundown of the championship, and uh, if you just took the the fact that every car that finished uh, on the lead lap was uh, still in the front peloton, so was therefore um, getting uh, getting the maximum the maximum score, if you like. At the end of the season, Jonathan Webb was the only driver not to lose a lap in the entire season, and by virtue of that fact, would win the uh, the um, Tour de France style um, scoring by each race being a stage in the event. He is a very handy steerer, isn't he? Um, Solid, reliable, but when he was a full-time driver, he struggled for that just outright, uh, that that last little bit, that last bit of speed that made him a a regular race winner. He had a couple of race wins, uh, and um, uh, Homebush in particular is a track that uh, suits that team uh, very well. They've had a, a great deal of success there. Um, let's not forget the uh, the turmoil that that team has had across the, the last 12 months. Um, in many respects, a, a lot of their success was down to their, their previous full-time driver, uh, Shane Van Gisbogen, of course. Um, so at the end of the year, uh, they gracefully uh, let him move on uh, uh, up a couple of garages um, and did that in a, in a, well, it was a dignified way. It was a friendly parting of, of the ways. Um, but they've also had their... Uh, uh, the, the, the team manager, and name escapes me for a moment, um, they've had a lot of change of personnel. Steve Hallam, you're thinking area. of? Exactly, Steve Hallam. Um, that, on paper, that was a huge loss. Um, in the results book at the moment, um, maybe it wasn't. Uh, but uh, you know, Steve had a, a great deal of international experience and brought a, a level of experience and professionalism uh, that appeared to be very hard to replace. They also started the season with a question mark over funding. Would uh, Dara Lee uh, continue their sponsorship? Um, and you know, quite nicely, it has continued, uh, and everyone is a, is a winner out of that. Um, it also struck me that the weekend was largely about recognising Peter Brock. Uh, so what do we get? We get a result that is the, uh, the second uh, race winner that never led a lap. The only person to do it previously was Peter Brock. Um, also, the incident that we spoke about earlier, um, in Peter Brock's last race at the mountain, um, Peter never actually got in the car to uh, during the race because the car was taken out on the same piece of track where, uh, where Wincup and McLaughlin and Tanda tangled. Uh, so uh, people who like to uh, join the dots with history uh, there was plenty there to uh, link Peter Brock uh, to this win. John, I heard a great yarn from Dr. Jeff Slater, the uh, chief engineer of Techno, and that was they lost telemetry in the car um, with, uh, I think he said, six laps to go and didn't really get it back to the very dying stages. And when the telemetry went out, they were running out of fuel on lap 160 and... Uh, it was interesting. If you listen to Inside Motorsport this week, when I uh, relay that message on to or ask Will if he knew about the telemetry loss, he goes, uh, no, but that probably explains the messages I was getting over the radio. And particularly, he was getting a call that you're in the pot, in the pot. And he's, he was going, but the lights haven't come on yet in the car. 
So they did get telemetry back, I think, on the last lap. Um, but uh, for Jess Slater and the team, they were just sitting there completely blind, um, having to rely on Will to obviously save enough fuel whilst they had Van Gisbergen just hammering on their back bumper. Well, we all know just how hard this race is and, and particularly how hard it is in, in the dying moments in those last few laps. And for Will, uh, look, he said in the press conference that uh, the car really just spluttered over the line. He only just made it. So, But he did make it. So really, at the end of the day, the, the team and himself uh, got it right. So whether they had the telemetry there or not, uh, they and, and through the good management or a bit of good luck, uh, they they did the job. And you know, I think it's it, it's a great result and a great deal of satisfaction to you know maximise the fuel that they have and maximise the resources that they have. But I bet the nerves. Uh, I mean, uh, Jonathan described it perfectly uh, afterwards. He, he said, uh, you know, for a while there, he was in the. Uh, in the transporter, having a, a nap and sort of tuning out from it for a bit, because uh, you know probably to, to escape the tension of it all, because he knew just uh, how close the team was to, to winning the, the race and, and having been uh, you know in the position before of, of being so close. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a very emotional time, you know, for those cars that have got and the teams that have got the chance to win. So yeah, once again, well. Whether it was good management or good luck, well done to them. Mm. Well, if the 15 seconds stands, it becomes the closest competitive finish in the 1000s history. After the break, we'll talk about Shane Van Gisbergen and we'll talk about the competition in the TV ratings because that was also a key winner out of the weekend as well here on Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Peter Norton and John Bannon. Joining me, Craig Ravel. And guys, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, he, he gave it his all. Um, Davo was good enough to just get the car in the right position, particularly on that forest elbow move that Van Gisbergen has made his own over the last few years, Peter. Um, yes, uh, I've, I've found the, all year long the... Uh, the expected battle between Shane and Jamie Winkup, um, it's been fascinating as we've been holding our breath, waiting for it to uh, come to uh, come to blows on the track. It hasn't happened. Um, and we'll, we'll look at the results and we'll see that uh, Shane Van Gisbergen was uh, our second in the closest ever. But let's not lose sight of the fact Jamie Winkup was, uh, you know, spent most of the race uh, a good distance up the road. Um, so I'm trying to reconcile in my own mind 
that Van Gisbergen, brilliant at Bathurst, and uh, all of this uh, you know, measured aggression and uh, all of his success there in, uh, in, in the GTs and other things, yet he didn't have that, that something uh, to, to stay with Jamie Winkup in equal equipment. John is, that one it just got me puzzled. John, is Peter being too harsh? They stacked behind Jamie Winkup three times. Yeah, and, and I guess over the course of the, the championship as well, um, if you look at the overall picture, you know, Shane now has the, the lead and, and they certainly went toe-to-toe together uh, at Sydney Motorsport Park. So, you know, only a, a few rounds ago and, and had you know, quite an epic battle there. Uh, and yes, Craig, you're correct in what you said too. There were those occasions during the race where, where Shane did have to, to double stack and obviously he... He lost time, and, and I guess the other thing is is that Jamie really did, up until when he received the, the time penalty, uh, was the standout through the course of the, the weekend. You know, he really, uh, you know, was quick in qualifying, uh, grabbed, grabbed pole, and, and from there, uh, you know, really also managed the race. Uh, I think, you know, I think Shane really has taken it to Jamie this year. Okay, he might. He might have, um, you know, really benefited from the penalty on the day at, at, at Bathurst that, that Jamie received. But, uh, I mean, look at the lead he's got in the championship and, uh, and, and what he's delivered through the course of the year as, as well. And, look, if, if the result stands as it is, uh, Shane's an incredible decision because we go to Gold Coast where he's strong, we go to New Zealand after that, which is his home event, and then we go to Sydney where he's always been strong. So if things stay as they are, he's in a very good position to take the title this year. And Peter, of course... I, I, guess, I, I guess what I was focusing on is we've not seen Van Gisbergen be capable to hunt him down and pass Jamie. Most of the, you know, the, the, the race wins and where uh, the Giz has the advantage in the championship, it's been... Uh, linked to uh, qualifying pole position and getting off the line the best, but well, maybe, being able to being able to hunt someone down and pass them, which what is really what Bathurst is all about, is being able to close that gap and pass them. I, I, I'm disappointed we haven't seen it. Well, I think we've seen a more measured Shane uh, this year, and and a Shane that acknowledges that the championship is at stake. Now, look, I, I agree with you to some extent, Peter. I, I was actually surprised that Shane didn't have a, a real big lunge at Will and, uh, and and really go for that extra aggressive approach, which we know he has and is capable of, uh, to, to win the race. But, you know, maybe he thought, well, you know, I don't really want to take out uh, another AAA affiliated car here. Uh, and also, I don't want to, to, to you know, my championship. Now, I know in the press conference he said that wasn't the case. He was, and, and I believe that too. Uh, but, you know, I think he made the decision that there just wasn't the, um, the opportunity uh, and, 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 and that he did everything he could to win the race. But yes, it's, uh, it's an interesting point you raise. Peter, interestingly, he said he's not worried. He's not thinking about the championship until after Gold Coast. But then you go to Auckland. Well, he's going to try and win that race. And then you get to Sydney 
and he's already run the last two. He wants to get a trifecta of victories at the Sydney 500 and, of course, you want to win the championship in fine style. So, really, his nature isn't going to back off and conserve for points. He is going to go for race wins at all three of the remaining races, which could prove costly at the end of the weekend or it could see him walk away with a huge lead. Oh, absolutely, and I'm very much looking forward to it uh, for all of the reasons you just mentioned. It should be a, a cracking uh, finish to the, to the year. So uh, we'll take a break and we'll talk television ratings on the other side of this. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Peter Norton and John Bannon. And uh, whilst a lot of people are still out there complaining about the TV deal, it's proved this weekend that... They knew what they were doing at Supercar headquarters. The mothership has received from Fox Sports a big tick of approval with their 14th highest rating on the subscription sports channel, its highest supercar ratings, and Channel 10 was peaking at about 1.6 to 1.8 million in the metropolitan areas. So certainly Bathurst, unlike any other of the races, pulls beyond belief. Yeah, absolutely, Craig. I, I think that, I mean, where Fox really got things right, I, I, I think, in the lead-up to Bathurst was, you know, having that dedicated Bathurst channel, showing all the the uh, the, the old races, uh, you know, doing all the, the interviews and, you know, having the, the various Ford, the um, Holden battles that were, that were displayed I think it really set the scene and really got people energised for the great race this year. And you know, even if even if uh, you know you weren't a massive motorsport fan, having that sort of lead up would probably generate enough sort of interest and excitement if you happen to be you know sitting on the couch watching it you know while your partner was or something like that to go. You know what? I might watch the Bathurst 1000 this year myself and. I, you know, as you say, the, the free-to-air figures were fantastic. It was the number one uh, rating uh, figures just prior to the, the news there at, at 6 o'clock. And I, I think that the, the Fox deal has done fabulous things for the sport. I, I agree with you. I think they've got, they've got things right. You know, they've given uh, fans who just want to watch it free-to-air, they've, they've got some good options there with some of the highlights packages and, and showing some of the main races live. And then you've got the in-depth coverage on Fox. So I think it works really, really well. Um, as we all know, Bathurst is that uh, one uh, race where uh, the average household uh, would tune in to watch the start. They go off and do other things throughout their Sunday uh, and they come back to watch the final hour. Um, 
Now, of course, when uh, Chaz Modsett won, uh, the race ran late into uh, the 6 o'clock news time slot. Uh, so the ratings were even higher still uh, because of that uh, anomaly. The, yeah, it, it is the race that people tune in for. And I think that uh, quite fortunate that the, the sponsor, Cheap, Super Cheap Auto, uh, they have their, their cross-promotion in many respects uh, with the... Uh, uh, Happy Bathurst Day and the Bathurst Sale. And they spend plenty of money on TV time to help make sure everyone knows that Bathurst was on, on, the, on that weekend. Um, I, I still find it quite ironic, even with all of that publicity, that uh, the previous weekend, the, the long weekend in, in most states, most people still think that Bathurst runs on the October long weekend. Uh, and uh, it, it's always a little chuckle to explain that it hasn't been on the long weekend date for mm, how long? However, everyone still tunes in to watch it on TV. It is an interesting one. Uh, what about your other stars of the race? Obviously, Nick Perkett and Cameron McConville improved their position by 19 places to finish in third, and Perkett is really showing why he's going to be a huge asset to Brad Jones Racing when he gets over there next year, Peter. Uh, subject to confirmation, I think, on that one. I haven't seen anything uh, locked in on that, so uh, a bit of speculation, perhaps. Um, but, yeah, with better equipment and better resource team, uh, Nick Perkat will be able to uh, become a, a regular performer. Um, I think he's shown some uh, leadership in dragging the LDM uh, team, uh, uh, its results up a little bit better. Um, highly uh, uh, variable in some of those results, depending on, on all sorts of things. Um, you know, just the, the, the amount of uh, resources they've thrown at the car or whether they've uh, uh, sort of had to make do. I think that uh, makes uh, their results uh, change uh, race to race. Um, so, yeah, clearly he was uh, one of the, the stars of the, of the weekend. Um, who would have thought that the best place forward would be number six? Uh, Cam Waters has been, uh, I think, a little underwhelming throughout the year, um, but uh, through staying out of trouble... Uh, and uh, some good strategy. Of course, he was there and uh, missed out on that podium position by oh, not, not much fuel in the tank. In fact, uh, 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 Nick Perkat has said that uh, Cam gave him a push across the line uh, when uh, when Perkat's Commodore uh, sort of spluttered on, on that final little stretch. Um, I was also quite impressed with Team uh, DJR Team Penske. Uh, the, it's really just some of the, the strategy call and the number of safety cars at the end of the race that foiled some of their plans, which was largely based on uh, getting the fuel correct. Um, they uh, rolled the dice, uh, expecting that uh, extra fuel was needed for everyone, but the number of safety cars meant that people who took a more aggressive fuel strategy um, didn't end up losing the track position that uh, you know, the Penske mob had expected. And, uh, uh, yeah, there was a, a lot of nervous people there counting down the laps and counting down uh, the litres in that garage. Um, yes, the, the atmosphere in there was really quite magic. Mm. John, of course, the Indy 500 was won on a fuel economy run by a rookie. And uh, this year, our Bathurst was won on a fuel economy run, but you definitely wouldn't call the guys who won rookies. What about your driver of the race? Who did you want to point out? Well, I think Peter made some really good points uh, there with some of the people that he pointed out. To be honest, I, I think that the drive of the, the, the race by, by a long shot was, was um, the Mick Perkat and, and Cam McConville entry. I mean, that car had no right 
to be in to finish third uh, in what was a dry race. Uh, I mean, this is a team uh, that uh, has a lot less uh, staff, you know, than I, I think they have only something like about a dozen uh, full-time staff. Um, I guess the, the man who oversees the team, um, Campbell Little, is sort of responsible for the, the weekend uh, engineering responsibilities. He's, not, he's essentially a freelancer for that team. He's not there full time uh, and it just it really it really defies belief as to as to how uh, Nick and Cam did it. it just, and Nick said, you know, in the in the press conference that it probably was his strongest drive that he's ever done in terms of just bringing it all together uh, on the day. And and also, I mean, putting Cam in the car as well. You know, he hadn't uh, done enduro through for a couple of years, and and he's come back and done an incredibly solid job uh, to, to support uh, that team, and and has really done his you know, stocks a lot of good as perhaps uh, getting even more enduro drives uh, again in in the future because it, it's just a, a quite a remarkable result. And, and the other thing Peter touched on uh, was with young Cam Waters and and Jack LeBrock, and I always felt the century was going to do well because there were two young guys who are very, both very talented. And I think probably what worked in their favour is, is Jack is no mug. You know, he's, he's right there at the top of the, the, the Dunlop series and, and is very much ready to graduate into the main game and by all likelihood might next year uh, if, if he can get a seat. And so to have two young guys who are both equally quick, uh, you know, Jack's really not, you know... A, a, a secondary driver. He's someone who, who could belong in the, in the main game. So uh, it, it's a great result, as Peter said, after what's been a difficult year for them. And, and finally, I'd just like to mention the Superbells entry. Uh, to finish 14th, uh, really, I guess, the, the, they, you know, they finished the, ahead of you know, a number of, of, of cars. I guess they were last in terms of the cars that um, uh, didn't have any major issues uh, and, and, you know, they finished a couple of laps down. But to have no major dramas during the day, to have a very tidy race, uh, to do very uh, respectable times, uh, given, you know, it is a fifth car for that team, given, uh, you know, the limits of preparation that is a wild card and they're only showing up for the one event for the year and the most difficult event for the year, uh, both Simona and Renee did a superb job, and uh, and I think they were you know both beaming uh, you know at the end in terms of what that that little team uh, managed to achieve under great scrutiny and, and criticism in some circles. Uh, I think they they did a fantastic job. Mm. In fact, they were the first car to finish that wasn't on the leader's lap, and of, of course ahead of Scott McLaughlin and David Wall. Peter, your thoughts on the uh, Supergirls? I thought they uh, put in a, a very solid effort. Um, you now, of course, Simona had the uh, off into the sand trap during qualifying, which uh, probably didn't make that much difference into uh, where they qualified. But that was the only mishap that uh, that I really noted. Um, they kept it off the walls. Um, uh, now they were clearly slower uh, each lap. Um, they really couldn't hang on to the, the tail end of the of the train, uh, but they were getting better. 
Uh, and uh, I think Simona was also quoted that uh, she's getting confidence in the car and she can uh, now try to you know, push it a bit harder and take a few risks. Mm. She so, also uh, lost her... Um, she lost the fan into her helmet too, so she was absolutely exhausted at the end of the run. She said she just, you know, it was just completely overheating her, not having any airflow through the helmet. Yeah. Uh, I, I was you know, quietly impressed in what they've, uh, what they've done with limited experience, and I'm, I'm looking forward to... Uh, a steady improvement from Simona over the coming years. Uh, I think she's a, a class act and a breath of fresh air for the for the sport. Um, she will get publicity uh, just by by being a, a lady, uh, but she's also uh, refreshing in that she's she's expressive when she's interviewed. You know, she's got some real emotion there. She's happy and excited to be there, and she's cranky and annoyed when it's not going well, and she lets it show. Um, and we've spoken uh, quite often about uh, up the other end of pit lane, we've got people who are uh, so focused and, and uh, they internalise all of that. So the outside world sees people who are almost mechanical in their approach to their racing. Um, I think Simona's going to be great fun to watch uh, over, the, over the next couple of years. Mm, speaking to her on Sunday night, you could really uh, get a sense of the steely determination that she's going to bring. Um, with her to the supercar series guys i just want to put one name on the table um while simona was the third home of the nissans behind carousel wood tim slade and ash walsh can you believe not only did they finish in seventh position on the lead lap but they had the pistons of the right front uh brake caliper stuck to the brake rotor i I didn't get a chance to speak to the guys down there at Brad Jones Racing, but I can only imagine that Tim Slade jumping into the car whilst they were doing the brake pad change must have bumped the must have bumped the brake pedal, which then caused the pistons whilst the pads were out being changed must have bumped the pistons onto the brake disc, which then they sort of welded themselves to it. The team had to put the car in the garage, had to get the pistons back into the caliper, put the pads back in, but then bleed the brakes because the brake fluid got onto the rotor and caught on fire. An amazing, amazing piece of work by the Brad Jones racing team to be able to get that car back out, to get them back on the lead lap and then to finish seventh overall. Uh, I just think that was a, a staggering achievement, uh, Peter. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be uh, on the scene there during that pit stop and, uh, uh, yeah, pretty exciting when someone screams out fire, um, uh, which was when the car was uh, out uh, in pit lane during the uh, the pit stop. Um, uh, so, yeah, fire extinguishers and all of that kind of distraction. But they had the presence of mind and the competitive uh, mind that even though the, the fire extinguisher foam was going everywhere, they, in their minds, they were still racing. They had to get the car into the garage and they did the work that you described and uh, when they got it back out into pit lane to drive off, oh, wow, that, that was one of those uh, you know, classic Bathurst moments where the, 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 the focus, the emotion uh, and the satisfaction of them uh, doing a great job. Um, yeah, that was one of, the, one of the, the best parts of the first half of the race um, because uh, in all of the excitement that we've just mentioned, we shouldn't lose track of the fact that the first half of the race was jolly boring. Uh, and... Uh, uh, the the slate incident that we just described, uh, that was the only thing that really happened before halfway, really. 
Mm. Yeah, 90 laps. And I guess talking back, John, to the Supergirls effort, they they didn't have that uh, that pace to keep them on the lead lap because there was 90 laps of green flag running. Had there been earlier safety cars, it was more than likely that it would have fallen before they went a lap down. Well, that's true too. And I'm not sure about this, but I, I'm, I'm reasonably positive that uh, Renee actually set the fastest time in that car uh, over, over the, the course of the race. Uh, it was a 209.4, I think. But look, uh, I, I think the other interesting aspect was the Tim Slade result was really good as well. Uh, given what, what happened to, to poor uh, Andy Jones at the top of the mountain, um, where obviously uh, he lost the, the, the brake disc there and, and went into the went into the wall, um, presumably through through no fault of his own, and uh, and you know for a, a close knit team like like Brad Jones Racing that worked so hard, that that incident really I guess started the chain of. Um, of its incidents that started to occur towards the back, the back half of the the race. So for then for Tim and Ash to come back like they did, uh, you know, would have been a, a really uh, great result for that team after that um, uh, initial uh, disappointment. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll take a break here on Inside Supercars and be back to wrap it all up right after this. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question. Email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Peter Norton and John Bannon. A final thought and observation before we play Who Would You Rather Be? John Bannon. I'd, I guess, just like to congratulate uh, Will and Jonathan on a, a fabulous result. I think it's brilliant for Techno. And uh, once again, just incredible Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport picking up third place with, with Mick Perkard and, and Cameron McConville. I, I think those two results are really marvellous for the sport. Peter Norton. Uh, the answer is 11. Uh, what is the question? Uh, the answer is 11 because it was the 11th racing weekend. Uh, we've had 11 different pole position uh, holders and 11 different winners. Now, of course, m- most race weekends have more than the one race. Uh, some had uh, three races. Uh, so, of course, we do have uh, way out in front uh, with five race victories, Shane Van Gisbergen. Uh, and then we've got threes and twos and twos and twos and twos and ones. Um, yeah, I just found that quite remarkable that we've had so many different winners, yet there's still this perception that Red Bull is dominating so strongly. And that is shown in the championship point score. But if you want a sport with variety and drama and different winners... Um, We've kind of got that at the moment. And if you scan the list of different winners, um, it's, uh, the Volvo, Scott McLaughlin, dominated the weekend uh, at Phillip Island, and Tim Slade dominated the weekend at Winton. 
every other race weekend, we've had a mix of different winners across the weekend. Uh, something's actually working for this sport, and maybe that's part of the reason that TV ratings was uh, it was a good deal stronger. Mm, and of course, eleventh is where the guy that took the chequered flag first ended up in the race. So the answer is eleven. Yes, indeed. Peter Norton, who would you rather be, Jason Bright or Nick Perkett? Uh, after Sunday night, I'd have to be Nick Perkat. Um, we've just spoke about uh, his great result and uh, uh, how that was very unexpected. Um, he's, uh, uh, dare I say it, he's got uh, uh, youth on his side uh, in terms of building his personal brand and being attractive to sponsors. Jason Bryce is currently very attractive to sponsors and the corporate side of things, uh, but the great results have been a little bit too thin lately. Uh, so I think that uh, in the chase for, for the sponsors, which leads to seats, uh, I think Nick Perkat may have got a, a good nose in front now. Mm. John Bannon, who would you rather be, Jack LeBlock or James Goulding? Oh, well, that, that's an interesting question. Uh I guess if you look at the Dunlop series, uh, Jack LeBrox and James Golding have, have, you know, have been shining lights this year, but not quite as, as strong as Gary Jacobson, who certainly goes into Sydney uh, with a, a very strong points buffer, uh, and, uh, and and you know would really be the strong favourite to, to take the title, uh, which is a, arguably a bit of a surprise. I think. Most people thought LeBrock was the favourite for that championship heading into the season, but hasn't shown the same consistency as Jacobson. In terms of Golden, well, uh, he's had a bit of a tough run, hasn't he? Uh, he had the incident at, at, at Sandown through no fault of his own, which was a major, major crash, and you know we were all uh, fearing the worst, but thankfully he walked from that all right. Uh, he, he had another uh, accident at Bathurst during um, practice, uh, so he's had a bit of a tough uh, a tough run, but he did a good job in, in the race. In terms of next year, well, you know, Gary has got a decision to make, and, and uh, you know, James could get promoted into a seat there. You know, he likes to promote young talent, but also uh, with uh, Jack, there's. There's, of course, rumours that he'll end up with a seat somewhere next year too. He's got a very good manager in David Siegel who will no doubt be, be pulling some strings for him. So uh, I'd, I'd probably slightly prefer to be Jack at the moment uh, is, a, is a long-winded answer. But, um, look, they've both got bright futures, don't they? Mm. Well, Peter Norton, thanks very much for your time here on Inside Supercars tonight. Oh, you're most welcome. It's always great fun. Thanks, guys. And John Bannon, always a pleasure. Thank you, Craig. Good to be on the program. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep... And bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.